The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Happy Friday, everybody. You're watching Scorebox, and these are your headlines. A short-lived rally, the Dow now posting its worst day since March. As optimism over NVIDIA's blowout numbers is quickly overshadowed by concerns over the Fed's rate-hiking path. Close, but not there yet. Fed policymakers diverging on whether interest rates have risen far enough. But the Philadelphia Fed President Patrick Harker taking a dovish stance, telling CNBC rates should be kept steady. I'm in the camp of let the restrictive stance work for a while. Let's just let this play out for a while. Uh, and that should bring inflation down. Donald Trump surrenders in Georgia. That's his fourth arrest in five months as he poses for the first ever mugshot of a former U.S. president before posting bail. And oil prices on pace for their second straight negative week as concerns over Chinese demand linger, while India's oil and gas minister downplays their reliance on Russian oil, telling CNBC the country's supply is diversified. There are points of time when there are four or five suppliers, traditionally UAE, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Iraq, maybe someone else. But we've diversified. We used to buy from 27 sources, today we're buying from 39 sources. You can't be surprised why we have this lush background sort of in the background, right? It's that Fed summer, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, when we, of course, take a look at the uh, symposium happening there. Fed Chair Jerome Powell anticipated to speak. But the big news story is that that rally we were perhaps anticipating following NVIDIA's bumper earnings, well, that didn't materialize. That stock was only up 0.1% by the close of trade. In fact, a lot of the information technology companies managed to dip off quite significantly. The likes of Apple dipping off more than 2% uh, across that trading picture. Amazon 2.7% as well. Netflix even falling 4.8%. Yes, the biggest faller though was Dollar Tree, 12.9% lower. It did follow on from its weaker guidance picture that it had set forward there. Nike also coming uh, in very low, unfortunately. 1.1% drop off on that stock. That does follow through from what has been uh, a weak streak for the company. Overall, more than 1% lost across uh, the U.S. boards. And really very interesting that the S&P and the Nasdaq had their biggest one-day losses since August the 2nd. But quite significantly, Thursday marking the worst day since uh, March then for the Dow dropping 1% there. Still just above that 34,000 point mark. So that's going to be quite keenly looked at. As we head into today's picture then, with Fed Chair Jerome Powell anticipated to speak as well, what do we look out for when it comes to that? So we'll unpack that across the show as well. And here's the pickup then on the Treasury's board. We saw the jobless claims numbers uh, come in at 10,000 less than last week. So it was anticipated to be 240,000. That ended up being 230,000, which means that the jobs market in the United States particularly is still tight. So does mean then that perhaps the Fed should remain tighter for longer. Perhaps a message that Fed Chair Jerome Powell will then reiterate in his message as well today. So we did see uh, a big uh, pickup then in some of the yields across 
uh, the bond yields then in the United States, in particular the 10-year reaching 4.224% then uh, as well. Right now, 4.2492 even. On to the dollar crosses then. Again, quite significant. Over a two-month peak then is where uh, the dollar is sitting the highest level since June the 7th, in fact up around 2% for the month of August alone. As you can tell, uh, some strength coming into that. It does follow through then from, that, uh, from those jobless claims numbers coming through yesterday's. Yeah, traders also bracing for Jay Powell's speech later than uh, today. As I said, the worst day for the Dow, that influencing things a little bit as well. Sixth straight week of gains as markets await Jay Powell then later today. And I mean, the number of Americans filing for those jobless claims will perhaps be uh, somewhat of a factor as well overall in this picture. Let's head on over to Asia then, which has actually picked up across the week. But today, falling though across the board, investors preparing, as we said, for the Fed summit. Core CPI in Japan's uh, capital, Tokyo, that came in at 2.8%. The expectation was for 2.9%, right? So unexpectedly dipping off the headline number, though, uh, at 2.9% overall. So core CPI was at 2.8, as I pointed there. The Nikkei is the biggest faller then across today's trading picture, more than 2% down there across. A lot of the tech counters have fallen uh, quite significantly. Industrial equipment manufacturer Advantest was the largest loser thus far. It's around 10% weaker in this morning's trade with the electronics and semiconductor firm Tokyo Electronic. That also has taken a dip of more than 5%. Those are big companies for the Nikkei, so that's why you're seeing that dip of 2%. Onto the futures board then. Well, we're anticipating a pretty mixed picture. Of course, yesterday we thought we'd see some gains. That didn't happen. Today, we'll see what happens. Steve? Yeah, absolutely. This is a pivotal day in terms of Central Bank Watch, no doubt about it. Federal Reserve officials at Jackson Hole are split on the need for further hikes, adding increasing scrutiny to the Fed Chair Jerome Powell's keynote speech. Uh, five minutes past three, London time. Uh, Boston Fed President though, Susan Collins uh, told reporters the Fed may need to continue hiking rates to see inflation finally taking a more settled downward path. However, that was at odds with the other speakers, including the Philadelphia Fed President Patrick Harker. He was speaking to CNBC, insisting now is the time for the Fed to keep rates steady and let its 11 rate hikes since March 2022 play out. Right now, I think that we've probably done enough because we have two things going on, right? Both the Fed funds rate increases. Mm -hmm. They are at a restrictive level, so let's keep them there for a while. And also, we are continuing to shrink our balance sheet. And that is, that is also removing accommodation. I'm in the camp of let the restrictive stance work for a while. Let's just let this play out for a while. Uh, and that should bring inflation down. It's very interesting. He also said he'd heard from banks and small businesses who were urging officials to let the current tightening fully pass through. Now that... Uh, well, maybe I'll come to this in a bit, but uh, rather than raise rates further. What I've heard loud and clear through my summer travels is, please, you've gone up very rapidly. We need to absorb that, right? We need to take some time to figure things out. And you hear this plea from community banks loud and clear. But I'm hearing it even from business leaders. Just let us absorb what you've already done before you do more. Just going to make a point here. You've got banks telling the Fed to hold off, yeah? Or small banks telling Harker to hold off and regional banks telling them the same. 
Is that a problem with rates rising or is that a problem with liquidity being withdrawn or a factor of the two? Why, if we aren't worried about the risk of recession, are the banks worried about the absolute level of Fed rates when they can improve their NIMS if indeed the Fed carries on raising, if they aren't worried about delinquencies? I think this is absolutely a delicious equation and very concerning potentially. Markets still betting the Fed uh, keeps rates on hold at its upcoming September meeting though, but a split 50-50 down the middle on whether or not there's one final rate hike in the pipeline before the year's end. Now, we're going to have much more coverage from Jackson Hole throughout the day, including first on interviews with the Cleveland Fed President, that's Loretta Messer, of course, and the Chicago Fed President, Austin Goolsby. And we're going to hear from the Fed Chairman himself, Jerome Powell, when he delivers the symposium's keynote speech, as I say, just after 4 p.m. Central European time. Uh, John Plassard is Deputy Director at Mirabeau Group as well. And John, I really enjoyed your piece, actually. You've done a really strong um, preview piece of, of Jackson Hole. And you're asking some great questions, so thank you. And I'll just relay some of those questions that you're asking uh, to our viewers. Number C question, will the Fed's intentions be clarified? I, I have questions whether they are themselves. Four, the question that nobody asks, are we going to a recession as well? Uh, what happened last year so we can clarify and how the market's going to react? I think at least three of those, are, well, all four of them are great questions. But John, let's go back to the first one, your, your point C in your 12-page piece as well. Will the Fed's intentions be clarified? I've got to be brutally honest, John. I don't think we're getting any clarity just yet. And I can't think what the, um, the chair of the FOMC is going to say that will clarify. Maybe you think he will say something. John. Yes, uh, th thanks for having me, Steve. But, but I'm in the camp of those who think that we're going to have very important information here from Jerome Powell. Uh, you know, since last uh, uh, Fed meeting, the, all the policymakers in Europe, in Asia, and also, of course, in, in the U.S. have taken into account a, a wide range of new information, including the labor market, the inflation pressure and expectation, as well as the financial and international development. You know, also the problem is China. In China, you know, that Fed, the Jerome Powell Fed, is looking, of course, at this issue as well. And I, I just remind you, Steve, that in the last uh, Fed meeting, the key phrase was the committee remains highly attentive to inflation risk. So there is a risk here. And, you know, actually, the consensus is betting on a longer you know, the, the longer, uh, higher for longer rates, so a pause and then rate high going down. The first rate cut will be in June 2024. And I think the consensus has always been wrong. And I really guess here that Jerome Powell will clarify and be very arkish tonight. He has always been arkish since 12 months. And I think it was the consensus that was trying to push him that didn't trust the Fed and the other members from the Fed because they made so many mistakes in 2022. I think you're right. I think he will have to be moderately hawkish as well. But the data is so mixed at the moment. Is he not just going to add a bit of a carrot to that stick as well and say, look, we just need to look at the data? A lot of data driven comments recently from a lot of these Fed members as well. And, and of course, talking about the cumulative and lagged effects as well. John, I hear you what you're saying about the, the hawkish nature of his speech. I, I think the market's been woefully wrong on this and trying to tempt him into uh, uh, talking about pauses and indeed declines in actual 
initial absolute levels of rates. But, but given the data is so mixed, John, can he actually be as hawkish as you're saying? Yeah, you know, the job is not done yet, Steve. You know, if you look at the, the, the data that we have, the inflation, the core inflation in the US in July is 4.7%. It's not on the 2%, so we can discuss about this 2%, but whatever. We're not, the job is not done yet. And you know, I don't know if you saw this morning or yesterday, the new Atlanta Fed, the GDP now that are projecting the, the growth for uh, Q3 is at 5.9%. Last year, everybody was betting on the US to go into a recession. And actually, it's only Germany. Netherlands and Poland that are in a technical recession, as we could say. So if you look at this, you know, the, the global picture for me is not mixed. If I look at the global picture, I look at uh, something that uh, the Fed didn't anticipate is the consumption. You know, the consumption, for, of course, here in Europe, but also in the UN, in the US, they didn't know what was the, you know, the consumption revenge after the COVID. And I guess, Steve, you've been on vacation and you pay much more than you should for your hotel or for your, your FAS. Uh, and uh, you just say, okay, that's okay for this year, but next year I will think differently. And I think they didn't anticipate that and they have to uh, raise their rate much more so people will start to think differently. John Aribile here, good morning. I, I'm also going to have to rethink my holiday that's actually coming up. So I'm, I'm definitely looking at that quite significantly. But you made note of how the job is not done. So, so how much is still left in this job? You, you, you also made note of that 2% target, something that we perhaps need to consider and start thinking about all over again. How far do we go with that discussion? I, I don't think we're far away, uh, uh, to be honest. I think they, they might raise a 25 basis points more and stay here for longer, but not June, but more uh, until at least uh, next uh, next year in October. And you know, the, there is a very interesting thing if you look at this target uh, of 2%. You know, I remember uh, between 2012 and 2018, there was some discussion in the ECB that the target, because they couldn't reach it, could be lower to 1.5%. So now, of course, that the inflation is higher than 2%, everybody's trying to uh, look at where is the real rate, where is the real inflation that we need to have, should it be a 2.5 or 3%? And I think this is a wrong debate. The, the inflation should be cooler than that we have today. And I think the equation of just putting rates higher and then the demand is falling and the inflation as well is completely disturbed by what we have with the COVID and, of course, the, the, the sad war that we have in Ukraine. And uh, this is something that the Fed maker has to rethink and they has to they have to they have sorry to change their model because actually their model are wrong is wrong sorry yeah and and john do you think then i mean the re market reaction from whatever sort of comes out then of the symposium this week would even be pronounced considering last year there was quite a a big fall then in this market um does that happen again this year or is there not much really to write home about in that context no, you know, historically, uh, the average is 0.4% uh, after, the, after the, the Jackson Hole meeting. But last year, as you said, it was minus 3.5% on, uh, on the S&P 500. 
But I guess what the biggest reaction will have, and we already have it this morning with the dollar, will also be on the 10-year treasury yield that will go uh, much higher than expected. You know, uh, I think uh, um, last year, the what we call the forward guidance didn't work out uh, at all. And I think it's going to work uh, much better after this Jackson Hole meeting and that will have a reaction, a strong reaction on the dollar on the treasury yield and maybe on the, the the stock market but it also depend on this uh you know intelligent artificial intelligent and nvidia and blah 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 um, john we're loving chatting to you this morning but i'm afraid we've got to go now so thank you very much indeed for your insight i really enjoyed your copy as well so thank you for that in advance of the interview uh, john plassard uh, deputy director at mirabeau group and uh, just to say you can read up on why jay powell's jackson hole speech later today maybe unlike any other he's had to give before wow isn't that interesting from jeff cox one of our staff writers uh, that story on the website now Arabile. Coming up on the show, Donald Trump becomes the first former president to have his mugshot taken. We'll bring you the latest from Fulton County, Georgia. Plus, later, we'll take a look under the hood of Europe's largest economy with German GDP figures set to cross the wires. That's happening at 8CT. And leaders gather in India for the B20 summit one day after the BRICS group of nations move to expand for the first time in more than a decade. We'll bring you Tanvir's exclusive interview with India's oil and gas minister. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Now, Gap shares are higher in extended trade after the retailer posted a bottom line beat with margins rising on the back of a slowdown in discounting. However, sales missed expectations, sliding 8% on the year, with executives warning they could see, quote, choppy consumer markets with the customers or with customers under economic pressure. Nordstrom beat on the top and bottom lines, but its outlook for the full year remains unchanged, with retailers seeing revenue falling between 4 and 6% as department store sales remain below pre-pandemic levels. Now, the CEO, Eric Nordstrom, said the company will focus on boosting its discounted brand Nordstrom Rack and improving inventory management. Now, Steve, I was just last week in, in Sweden. Were you? I was. Did just, you come back with any money? No. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. I spent a lot of time over there myself. Yeah. Where were you? Yeah, I was, Stockholm. So Stockholm yeah. and Sundsvall. Oh, yeah. Now, the reason for that was because we we're doing, we doing a story that will come out soon on Ooh, IKEA, actually. Oh, yeah. And uh, very interesting that well, the Dutch desire, company. yeah, the desire, though, for... Based in Leiden, sorry. I was, you missed my point. <laughs> I yeah, go on, carry on anyway. Yeah. Yeah, the headquarters has been Leiden since the 80s. It has the tax been. regime in Sweden was too course, extreme. They, so they just not many people like know there. that, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, go on anyway. Well, so. I had to learn all of that for this <laughs> yeah, story, yeah, nonetheless. Course. But the whole point was bricks and mortars actually coming back a whole lot more than we thought online sales were. So the question I have, though, is... 
and we're going to discuss this perhaps a little bit later on, is should, should retailers be focusing a little bit more on their bricks and mortar stores now as opposed to just... Because COVID-19 yep. has did okay. do what we thought it did, but that may okay. have been I'll, I'll go with you a little bit. I want to go in a different direction, but I will go with you a bit. Look, um, obviously online, massive expansion, yeah. COVID, what have you. The problem with online that is different from bricks and mortar, and it's the most obvious thing in the world, is it's not that profitable for many of the retailers yeah. as well. Many of the big grocers, many of the big retailers are really struggling with logistics costs, with the cost of the extra van drivers, with the fuel costs that goes with it as well. Mm. They haven't managed, of course, to have automated vehicles on a meaningful fashion. The longer distance journeys are not um, EV yet as well, so they can't tap into that side of things as well. Uh, and the returns when you're buying and selling goods online is very, very expensive, and that's proved very expensive for a lot of these companies who initially offered free returns as well. So it is for all kinds of structural reasons, growth reasons, ex-COVID reasons, why online is slowing down as well. So I, I take your point fully on board about bricks and mortar. But, but, but across the board, I think this industry is a bit like Jackson Hole. We don't really know what's going on as well. Yeah. People are keeping their jobs in America, that's for yeah. sure as well, if we're talking primarily about the US retail here as well. At the moment, people are keeping their jobs. You graphically illustrated the weekly jobless claims at the wall, 230,000, I think you said as well. Number, a stunningly yeah. low figure historically, not picking up, which again, adds to the headaches uh, for J-Power. So people are keeping their jobs, and that's great. But we heard um, a report, I think it was from the San Francisco Fed, not only a couple of weeks ago, that actually a lot of the pandemic checks, they're gone. By the end of this quarter, yeah. they're gone. So the end of September, uh, they are gone as well. So what's that going to leave people with? It's going to leave people with a situation where costs are going up through the roof. Can I just show you the next board? And I think this is really, really interesting as well. This is what our team put together for us as well. Look at this chart. Now, this is 2022 versus 2023 August costs. And you're a very lucky American or very lucky person if you haven't got any of those. Some people haven't. Some people haven't got the increased mortgage costs. And I really appreciate that, that obviously a lot of people are on fixed deals. Yeah. So the rollover is around about 10, 11% a year. But the costs up dramatically there to 7.1%. Then we look at home equity loans as well, up to 9.2%. Car loans, new car loans, uh, used car loans have both gone up. Credit card rates as well, north of 24%. Personal loans also gone up aggressively as well. So I think that just shows the pressure that is coming on the consumer just from their loans, yeah. let alone a lot of their other costs as well, their rental costs as well. We know that's been very, very sticky uh, in the services um, part of the inflation data as well. So. It's great that people are keeping their jobs, but are they keeping their jobs uh, and just holding their kind of just kind of holding steady or are they sinking as well under the weight of cost of living increases, uh, which includes all those inflation costs and those loan costs as well. It is a very tough time for the consumer to hold its head above water. And I think what we have been seeing is that this bit of a switch and Karen was talking about a lot earlier in the week from discretionary to staples. Yeah. So what happens then with falling inflation? Do retailers well, then not decide? Inflation. Well, it's slowing, disinflation, slowing, yeah. Yeah, slowing inflation rather. Do retailers then decide actually we're not going to raise our prices as quickly as well, or do we just not raise prices to ensure that we maintain demand? Because that's going to be quite critical in this next phase. Yes, people are keeping their jobs, but as you said, real income is actually falling. Very, very tough to put any prices up at the moment, given yeah. what we've seen at you know, the likes of Foot Locker, the likes of uh, Dick's Sporting Goods. And I know it's only a couple of Macy's. Macy's you know, yeah. They are really, really feeling the pain of their consumer, a lot of these companies as well. It's a very mixed picture, and mm. I think that's, that's something you, you and uh, the rest of the team have graphically illustrated. Meanwhile, uh, the angriest mugshot I've ever seen. Uh, this is the former president, Donald Trump. He has now surrendered to authorities in Georgia on 13 charges related to alleged, and it's still alleged, okay, 
improper attempts to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election in that state. Mr. Trump spent around 20 minutes in the jail before paying a 200,000 bail bond to be released while he awaits trial. This was Mr. Trump's fourth arrest. There you go, there's the mugshot. Uh, it was his fourth arrest in five months, but the first uh, where a mugshot was released by the police. Trump returned to X, the social network formerly known as Twitter. Uh, every time we say formerly known as Twitter, I think of Prince. <laughs> Do you think it's Prince? But now this is the other way, right? I mean, so Prince, Prince went and became I mean, a we symbol. can make a very big argument about it, but I think Prince was arguably one of the most talented people of the 80s. I mean, yeah. just... just uh, but he changed his name to a squiggle at one stage. So yeah, it was the artist symbol. formerly known as Prince for a long time. So the network formerly known as Twitter. Uh, Trump really put, an, uh, put a, a statement out on it anyway. For the first time since his account was suspended in January 2021 to repost the image and accuse authorities of election interference. Well, NBC's Jay Gray has more from Fulton County Jail. The former president's motorcade pulling through the gates of the Fulton County Jail, rushing past dozens of supporters gathered outside. This is crazy. It's sad, and I never thought I would see it in my life. Mr. Trump surrendering to state police, facing more than a dozen felony charges, including racketeering and conspiracy for his alleged efforts to overturn results in the 2020 presidential election in Georgia. Inside the facility, less than 30 minutes, the former president has read his rights, fingerprinted, has an inmate ID assigned and mugshot taken. That photo released publicly, something prosecutors haven't done in three separate indictments earlier this year. What has taken place here is a travesty of justice. We did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. Mr. Trump pausing before boarding his private jet, denying the allegations and saying the now 91 charges he faces in four separate cases are politically motivated. What they're doing is election interference. They're trying to interfere with an election. And we have every right, every single right to challenge an election that we think is dishonest, that we think it's very dishonest. Which is why Mr. Trump says he'll plead not guilty during his arraignment, the next legal step in this historic high-profile case. The Fulton County District Attorney says that arraignment hearings for the former president and 18 co-defendants could start in less than two weeks. Jay Gray, NBC News, Atlanta. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.